Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly. And pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at EdenWorshipCenter.co. Good morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 127. We'll be reading 1 through 5. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxiety and anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we pray that you build the house of the people in this church, that you build the families of the people in this church, that we don't rely on our own strength, our own means, our own thoughts. Lord, please build our houses this morning. We pray, we ask of you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. Uh, we've got several passages that we want to look at today. Of course, that Psalm 127 is one of the main ones. Uh, but to start off with, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Uh, how many of you guys have ever seen somebody who is like in a serious, in-depth conversation out loud with themselves. Anybody ever seen anybody like that? Where, does myself count? Uh, when, where we used to live in Maryland, there was a guy known in our town, his name was Curtis. And he had, it was sad, uh, he would often be seen walking along the street, like vehemently either arguing with himself or yelling at himself. I, I don't know which, but he would just walk along and talking out loud and as he walked along the street, and there were kids who would refer to him as Crazy Curtis. Uh, unfortunately, it was probably true, uh, but we often look at people who do that and think, yeah, there's something not right there. Well, you're about to see that this morning, because as we go through this, this follow me as I follow Christ, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, I want you to know I am talking out loud to myself. Uh, this isn't just me sharing with you what I've seen in Scripture. Uh, this is me 
telling myself, talking out loud to myself what needs to be true about me, and you guys just get to hear my conversation with myself this morning. So there we are. So 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or depending on your version, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And we, almost all of us have read this passage. If not, we've at least heard it quoted. And it's just one short verse that we often read over as we get to, oh, he's talking about head coverings. Let's see what he has to say there. But that one verse has two very powerful points in it that, as Pastor Matt said, is setting the stage for what we're going to be doing on the last Sunday of each month. Uh, This is really quite a statement from Paul. One, he is commanding his readers. Notice this is an imperative. This is a command. He's saying, do this. He's saying, you need to imitate my behavior, he says. And he's saying, and the reason you need to imitate my behavior is because I imitate Jesus' behavior. I mean, that, that's quite a statement to tell somebody. Oh, yeah, if you imitate me, you're imitating Jesus. And, and we read that and we think, well, of course Paul could make that kind of a statement because, well, he's Paul. I mean, he's Paul. But your ordinary Christian would be hard-pressed to make such a statement. Like you just, your ordinary Christian, can they really say this? And that's the problem with modern Christian thought. Uh, We think of ourselves as ordinary Christians, and then there are Christians like Paul, like next-level super-Christians. And as soon as the church, not Eden, but the church as a whole, started to view things that way, we're ordinary Christians, and then there's the apostles, and there's Paul, uh, then there's those guys. As soon as we let that kind of thinking start to creep in, all of a sudden we started to lower the bar for ourselves. Well, that's good for Paul, but I'm just an ordinary Christian. I, I, I can't make that statement. And really, just a tiny bit of logic would tell us that's not right. See, Paul wasn't a super Christian. He was biblically an ordinary Christian. He is what Christians should be. He wasn't a super Christian up here. He was a normal, ordinary Christian. And what is the little bit of logic that says that's true? If Paul was a super Christian and everybody else was normal Christians, then he couldn't command the Corinthians to be like him. But here he is saying, Corinthians, be like me. If he was a super Christian and then there was ordinary, and, you know, we can't be super Christians, we can't all be super Christians, we're just ordinary, then he can't make this command, this, this imperative, this statement. He can't say, you need to be like me, if he's not what the Bible calls an ordinary Christian. Now, I'm not saying that uh, God is going to use every Christian just like he used Paul. Uh, for instance, God is not going to use any of us to write scripture. That's kind of a done deal now. 
But Paul here isn't talking about the things God uses him to do. Paul is talking about how he lives his life. So God may not use us like he did Paul to do all the things he used Paul to do. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying, as I live my life like Jesus lived his, imitate me. And if you're still thinking that this is like apostle-level stuff, that it's not something that I as an ordinary Christian can do, turn with your Bibles over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 4, and 4 through 6, we read this. Whoever says, I know him, that means Jesus, whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know, not hope or think, we may know that we are in him, in Christ. And here we go. Whoever says he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It says, those who say they are Christians ought to walk in the same way Jesus did. That word ought means to feel morally obligated. In other words, when somebody says they are a Christian, they should feel like they have to do what is about to be said. That there is no other option to not do this thing is wrong. I am morally obligated because of my claim. I am morally obligated to do something. And what is that thing? To walk in the same way Jesus walked. And when the Bible says, uses the term walk, Paul used it, John used it. It's talking about how you live your daily life. So John is saying, anybody who says he is a Christian should feel like they have to live their life the way Jesus lived his. So when Paul says, imitate me as as I imitate Christ, he is simply saying, I am doing what every Christian should be doing. I am walking as Jesus walked. So we think of this statement... As, well, yeah, Paul could do that, but not me. I'm just an ordinary Christian. And that's exactly why you should be able to say this. Because you're an ordinary Christian. You're exactly what God means biblically when he talks about a Christian. Paul didn't have some special avenue of grace that we don't have access to. Paul didn't have some some different Holy Spirit that we don't have. There is only one Holy Spirit. And the only reason Paul could say he imitates Christ is not because he was super. It's because of the grace of God and the Spirit of God dwelling in him. The same grace that you have access to. The same grace that I have access to. The same Holy Spirit that dwelled in Paul is the same Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So, All that to say, we have the full capability by the grace of God to make the statement, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, when we say follow me, what do we mean by that? 
did Jesus ever say to people, follow me? The answer, of course, is yes. We, we see in several passages in Scripture, uh, Matthew 4.19, Matthew 9.9, Matthew 19.21, John 1.43. Uh, there are many passages where Jesus says, follow me. And when he said this, was he simply saying, hey, go with me wherever I go? No, he was saying, come and be my disciple. That's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. He was saying, be my disciple. Jesus was telling them, I am going to disciple you. I am going to disciple you. That's what I mean when I say, follow me. And later in Luke 640, here's what Jesus says. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So this puts us in a spot, doesn't it? We all should be living a life where we can say, follow me as I follow Christ knowing that what Jesus said is true because Jesus doesn't make mistakes in what he says. That everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Those around you, if they were to follow you, if they were to imitate you and then be like you, would they be like Jesus because they're like you? It sounds like a tall order. It sounds like something that is way beyond us, you know, apostle-level stuff. But the great thing is that God never calls us to do something that he doesn't also enable us to do. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying, earn your salvation by your works. He's saying, work your salvation out in your life. Make it evident in your life. And then he says this, how and why? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, the desire and the power to do what God calls you to do. It says, he works in you to give you the desire and the power to do what he calls you to do for his good pleasure. So, does God call you to live a life like Jesus and then call others to do the same? Yes, Does he give you the desire to do such a thing? Yes. Does he give you the power to do such a thing? Yes. So, to be an effective discipler isn't about who you are. It's about who God is in you. It's about who God is in you. So, as you follow Christ, you will become more like him. And in turn, those who follow you will become more like Jesus as well. All as a result of the grace of God poured out on your life. Now we're getting to my sermon. That was to set up uh, all the, the sermons that are going to follow as we talk about follow me. Now, how we apply this truth in our lives is going to uh, change depending on the context of our situation. Now, Jesus is always Jesus, and being like Jesus 
is always acting like Jesus. Uh, but when he encountered different people, he, he displayed love and encouragement and teaching and reproof in different ways according to whom he was talking to. Uh, it wasn't a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. For instance, how you apply this to your children is going to be different than how you apply it to your coworkers. And so today, we are going to focus on dads. Dads. That is the focus of today. We want to focus on dads today. And our culture doesn't put much value on fathers. Um, in our culture, the greatest value uh, father or husband has is um, how much can we make the dad the butt of a joke? How much can we portray the dad as the bumbling, clueless one? That's what value dads have in our society and culture. As long as we can use them as the, the bumbling fool who needs the wife to come in and talk sense to him or fix the situation that he created through his ineptness, hey, then the dads have value. But what does reality teach us? Does reality teach us something different than what Hollywood dishes out to us from their dumpsters? Does reality teach us something different? Well, 90% of teen runaways come from fatherless homes. 90%. 70% of youth in juvenile detention facilities, 70% of them come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. If a father doesn't attend church, then only 1 in 50 children will become adult churchgoers, no matter if the mom attends church or not. If the dad doesn't, regardless of what the mom does, does or does not attend church, 1 in 50 will not attend church as adults. If a father does attend church, then upwards of 75% of children will become adult churchgoers. If a child is the first one in a family to become a Christian, there is about a 3.5% chance that the rest of the family will become a Christian. If a mom is the first person in a family to become a Christian, there's about a 17% chance that the rest of the family will become Christian. If a father is the first person in a family to become a Christian, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the family will become a Christian as well. So reality teaches us that there is immense importance and value in the role that a father plays in the life of his family. Actually, I should say, the Bible teaches us that there is immense value and importance in the role that a father plays in the family, and reality displays the truth of God's word. And I just want to give a quick word because I know we have families where there is no father. Uh, if you come from a fatherless home, if you have a dad who is not a, a godly dad, if you're a single mom, don't let all these statistics I just gave uh, discourage you because statistics are not sovereign, God is. Statistics are not sovereign, God is. Uh, case in point. I did not grow up to going to church. My dad did not go to church. Uh, my parents were divorced. I lived with my mom. My dad lived in a different state. Uh, I was the first one in my family to get saved. 
I'm definitely an adult churchgoer, even though my dad did not go to church. My whole family is now saved. That means I am one of those one in 50. I am one of those three and a half percenters. So I've been in full-time ministry for almost 25 years, but I'm one of those one in 50. I am one of those three and a half percenters where there was no father involved. So again, statistics aren't sovereign. God is. But that's just how reality does display the truthfulness when God says fathers are valuable. And so dads, God is sovereign, not statistics, but don't be presumptuous. Do not be presumptuous and think, well, since God is sovereign, I don't need to do anything. Don't be presumptuous, be obedient. Don't be presumptuous, be obedient. And we're going to talk about obedient to what in a minute. But so considering the surpassing value of a father in the life of his children, what does the statement, follow me as I follow Christ, look like for a father discipling his children? Again, that's going to be different than when you say to a coworker, follow me as I follow Christ, or you say to a neighbor, follow me as I follow Christ. And first of all, the idea of a father discipling his own children is about the most clear and biblical idea there is in the Bible when it comes to parenting. Uh, There are multiple passages that make it apparent that God's design is for the parents, especially the father, to be the primary discipler of their own children. It's not something to simply hand off to somebody else and you not do. For instance, Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, this passage does not say, fathers, see to it that your children are brought up in the discipline of, and instruction of the Lord. If it was simply that you were to see to it, that means you could delegate it out to somebody else. I mean, you're seeing to it. You're making sure that somebody is discipling your children. But it doesn't say, see to it. It says, you bring them up and the nurture, or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You are responsible to do the discipling. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This passage makes it clear that God gives to fathers both the responsibility but also the incredible privilege of discipling your own children. It says, at the house or out and about, encourage your children to love God. In the morning, in the evening, Sunrise, sunset, are you there? So unless this passage is saying that you should have a Sunday school teacher and a youth pastor sitting in your home all day, putting your kids to bed and waking them up, then dads, you are responsible for the spiritual upbringing of your children. And I'm pretty sure he's not saying we should have Sunday school teachers and youth pastors living in our homes with us. So yeah, dads. It's your responsibility. 
it's not the responsibility of the youth pastor, the Sunday school teacher, or even the pastors to see the spiritual to see to the spiritual discipleship of your discipleship of your children. Now, can fellow Christians come alongside you and and help you as you seek to disciple your children? Absolutely. That's body life. To have other godly people come alongside you and aid you as you seek to disciple your children. But asking somebody to help you fill in the gaps in discipling your child is not the same as simply turning your child over to somebody else or to a ministry of the church to do your job for you. What happens when we turn our children over to somebody else or to a ministry of the church to do our job? Well, the first youth pastor, the first full-time youth pastor came on the scene in the mid-1970s. Since that time, there has been a downward spiral of teens leaving the church. Until today, 45 years later, about 70% of teenagers leave the church after high school. Even though there are now more full-time youth ministry professionals and youth pastors than ever before. There's more youth pastors than there has ever been, and yet we see more teenagers than ever leaving church after high school. So the present youth ministry model that the vast majority of churches employ is an epic failure. I think it's a well-intentioned failure. I think it was well-intentioned, but it's a failure nonetheless. Why? Because God never intended for a youth pastor to disciple your child. He intended for you dads to do it. Again, we all need help sometimes. This is true even in discipling our children. That is why God gives us pastors and and teachers as well as other godly people in our lives to help us as we disciple our kids. But even in seeking out others from the body of Christ to come alongside of us, we need to be very careful of how much of that responsibility we shift onto them. The overwhelming bulk of that responsibility should be be being fulfilled by you. Think of it this way. If I told you that I had a supplement that if you took twice a week, you would never have to eat again. And you would be the epitome of health and stamina. How many of you guys would sign on for that? There isn't one. You would die. (laughs) You would die. But oftentimes, that is exactly how we view pastors, youth pastors. Oh, if I give them a dose of youth pastor and pastor twice a week, then I don't have to give them anything else. And our children shrivel up and leave the church. What your children get at church should never be anything more than a supplement to what you are doing in your own home. We are supplements. God-given supplements. But supplements nonetheless when it comes to discipling your children. So why has relying on youth pastors and Sunday school teachers to disciple the children of the church turned out to be such an epic failure? Turn with me to Mark 3. 
And in Mark 3, verses 13 through 14, it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So, in this passage, we see what we're going to call so thatting. Jesus is so thatting in this passage. So thatting means that you're being intentional in your decisions and actions. It means you aren't doing things just because. You're doing things so that a particular result will follow. So, so thatting. And notice that Jesus had an intentional purpose in calling these 12 men out. So that they might be with him. So they might be with him. He called them out for the specific purpose of spending time with him, being with him. And what was his purpose in spending time with them? So that he could send them out. So that he could send them out. So Jesus was very good at so thatting. He called them out so that they could be with him, so that he could send them out. And so that's so that, so that they could be with him. That is the answer to why an over-reliance on youth ministry and Sunday school has resulted in failure. Jesus chose the 12 men so they could be with him in order for him to disciple them. They had to be with him. Not an hour or two a week, but truly be with him. To go where he went, to do what he did. To truly disciple someone means that they are with you. And no youth pastor or pastor or Sunday school teacher or or godly adult friend from church will ever be able to spend the time with your child that you will be able to. That's why we are just supplements. We can never invest the time in your child that you can. Jesus' purpose in calling them out was to be with him. Leaders in the church cannot be with your child to any extent that you can, which is, again, why an over-reliance on spiritual leaders in the church pastors, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, whoever it may be, that is why we now have a 70% dropout rate from church after high school. Because those who can be with the children are passing that on to somebody else, passing that responsibility on to somebody else. Think of it this way. If you average two to three hours per week in church, and that's pretty generous actually, Uh, because not all of that is teaching time. But if you spend two to three hours a week in church, your child does, that comes out to between 104 and 156 hours per year that they are with spiritual leaders, youth pastor, pastor. With a family, you, with your children, average 1,092 hours with your children a year. That's if you're only averaging 21 hours per week with them, which is actually, it's less than a day. I hope that you're spending more time than that with your children. That comes out to three hours a day. I sure hope you're spending more time than three hours a day with your family. But I, I'm giving that conservative estimate just to show you 
the vast difference there is between your children being with spiritual leaders in the church, 150 hours tops, and being you being with your children in a year. You spend 10 times as much time with your child as any spiritual leader does. Jesus called them out so that they could be with him so that he could disciple them and send them out. Now the question may arise, but what about kids who have no godly father in the home? What about those kids? First, a godly mother, of course, is fully capable of discipling her children. That's why God is sovereign, not statistics. A godly mother is fully capable of discipling her own children. In the absence of a father, a mother actually must take on that role of being the primary discipler of her children. If there is a father in the home, the goal is always for him to be the spiritual leader. But the reality is there are going to be men who will not take on their God-given responsibility. There are two solutions. First, if there is a father in the home, reach out to him. Pursue him with the gospel. We often just focus on the children who don't have a godly father. We need to be focusing on the father who is not godly as well. Because the solution isn't just to focus on the child. There's a deeper root issue. Home life. No godly father. Pursue the godly father or the ungodly father with the gospel. Look to disciple him. Who can do it? Any godly man sitting out here right now. It doesn't have to be the pastors. Actually, it can't be the pastors all the time because we're limited in the amount of time we have. So the first solution for those kids who don't have a godly father is to pursue their ungodly father with the gospel and pray like crazy that he becomes the godly father that child needs. Second, for the sake of the child, don't push it off on Sunday school teachers or youth ministry, but rather you, the individuals in the congregation, you have the responsibility to take those kids under your wings and step into the place the father should be as you're pursuing the father to be the father that he should be. This isn't an either or. We should never just say, well, we're going to disciple this kid and, no, pursue the dad. God-given responsibility. But in the meantime, don't leave it up to youth ministry because youth ministry is not to be the primary discipler of children. It's a supplement. The church, the individuals in the church have the responsibility to take those kids under their own individual wings and say, I want to spend time with you. But again, even that is not as impactful on a child's life as their own dad being their discipler. That should always be the goal. Pursue the dads with the gospel. Pursue the dads with the gospel. And also notice, again, as we said, Jesus wasn't just looking to spend time with these guys for the sake of spending time with them. Spending time together is good. But again, notice that the, in the so thatting, there is a greater purpose here than simply building a good relationship with these guys. 
He, he didn't choose to make disciples out of these men so that they could be better human beings. He, he didn't choose to disciple them so they would turn out, you know, basically, hey, they're, they're good guys. They, they got a good education. They stay out of trouble. They've got a good job. They're going to settle down one day and chase the American dream. If there had been an American dream to dream back then. But that's often what we settle for for our kids. As long as they're pretty good, get a good education, get a good job, settle down, have some great grandkids for me, it's success. Except are they pursuing God? Was that the end of Jesus' so thatting? No, the end of his so thatting was so that he could send them out to proclaim the gospel. That's the so thatting. So it was about the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. He intentionally chose these men so that he could one day send them out. So dads, what does your so thatting look like with your kids? Are you spending time with your children so that you can one day send your children out for the sake of Christ and his gospel? Whatever you are now teaching your child to pursue the most by how you spend time with them, that is what they are going to pursue with most of their time. Whatever you are now pursuing the most with them, with the time that you have with them, is what you are teaching them to pursue the most. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. I love this quote from Vodi Bakum. He says, If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. I'm going to read that again. If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, I'm going to ask you guys to look up this way. Don't let a distraction become an excuse. Listen to this quote. If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. How is your so thatting going with your children? Psalm 127. Verses 3 through 5 says this. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Kids. How many of you guys would like to think of yourself as a weapon of righteousness in the hands of God? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, yeah, I'm a weapon of righteousness. In Romans 6, it says that we can present ourselves as weapons of righteousness to God. And kids, that's exactly what God says you are. That in his hands, as your dad puts himself in God's hands, you are a weapon of of righteousness. It says that you are like arrows in your dad's hands. That 
a godly dad is going to aim you straight at the heart of the darkness of this world. And when he releases you, you will pierce that darkness as a weapon of righteousness for the glory of God. But it's not all up to your dad. That passage in Romans 6, it says, Let us not present ourselves to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. Notice that? You can also be a weapon doing damage, the wrong kind of damage. It says, rather present yourself, kids, as an instrument to God, a weapon of righteousness. So, kids, it's not just when you mess up, well, it's my dad's fault. He didn't aim me right. No. It says that you have a responsibility, kids, to give yourselves to God. And just as with your dad can only do this all by the grace of God, you can only present yourself as a weapon of righteousness to God by the grace of God. But kids, if you've got a godly father, man, he wants nothing more than to aim you for the glory of God and in the hands of God be a weapon of righteousness. So it says that like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So just like a warrior draws his bow so that he can just stand there. Right? Isn't that why a warrior draws his bow? So he can just stand there? Or does he draw his bow so that he can release it? He draws his bow so that he can release his arrow. Dads, you are to raise your children for the purpose of releasing them. You are to raise your children for the purpose of sending them. That is why God gave them to you. He didn't give you a daughter so that she can be your little princess for the rest of her life. He gave you a daughter so that you could aim her at the heart of this world for the sake of Christ. That's why you have a daughter. He didn't give you a son so that you could live vicariously through his athletic prowess. He gave you a son so that you could aim that son at the heart of this world for the sake of the gospel. That's why you have a son. It's great to be proud of their accomplishments. But understand, God didn't give you children to be proud of their accomplishments. He gave you children for you to use as a weapon of righteousness in this world, to send them into this world for the sake of the gospel. A lot of people make this passage about the arrows. Read lots of articles about how to craft these arrows. And there might be something to that. But if this passage is about the arrows then we are all set up for failure. We just all got set up to be discouraged. Because if an arrow has to be perfectly straight, if an arrow has to have a finely honed tip and precise fletching, how many of you guys think you can raise your children perfectly? Then we're all going to fail. If this passage is about the arrows. Uh, How many of you guys have ever been to an archery competition or seen one? I've seen guys, somebody will toss an aspirin up, and they'll draw and shoot and take the aspirin out of the air. 
Uh, I saw a guy, there was an arrow stuck in a ceiling, and he was doing this as an exhibition. There was an arrow stuck in a ceiling, like a drop ceiling. He ran, jumped, grabbed the arrow, knocked it, and got a bullseye before he landed. Now, in either of those situations, how ridiculous do you think it would be to go to either of those guys and go, man, those were some great arrows. It wasn't the arrows, it was the archer. The archer who put in the time to know how to fire those arrows. The archer who put in the time to know how to aim them, when to release them. That's why I think this passage is about the warrior. It doesn't matter how perfect the arrow is if the guy with the bow doesn't know what he's doing. It's about the warrior. Arrow, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior, not just like arrows. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Your so thatting, that is your aiming. I'm spending time with my kids so that they excel in sports. That's your aiming. That's the target they're going to hit. I am raising my children so that he can get the biggest buck. That's your aiming. I'm raising my daughter so she knows how to pick out the best wardrobe. That's your aiming. I'm raising my son so he can pick out the best wardrobe. That's your aiming. Whatever you are spending your time with them, that is your so vetting. That is your aiming. So are you aiming your children at the target of the American dream? Are you aiming your children at the target of athletic excellence? Are you aiming them at the target of scholarships and master degrees because those things are the things that lead to fulfillment and a bright future? College degrees and excellence in sports or the enjoyment of hobbies are good things. Don't get me wrong. Those are good things. But none of them, not a single one of them, lead to fulfillment in a bright future. That is Christ alone to whom that belongs. To Christ alone belongs our fulfillment in life. To Christ alone belongs a bright future that is given to us by his grace. What are you aiming your children at? How many bow hunters do we have in here? A good many. All right. Quick question, how many of you shoot your bow for yourself when you go hunting? Okay, how many of you give your bow and your arrows to some other guy and say, go hunting for me? Okay, none of you. All right, so you're saying that uh, you fire your own arrows, that you don't ask somebody else to do your hunting for you. How many of you guys, bow hunters, have put in time so that you know how to knock that arrow, aim that arrow. You know when to release it. How many guys have put in time to be a good archer? All right. How many of you guys had somebody come alongside you and help you learn that? All right. I think you can see where I'm going here. Dads, be the warrior. Be this warrior. Don't hand your arrows to somebody else to shoot. 
They're your arrows. Don't hand them to somebody else to shoot. Be intentional in the time that you put in to train yourself to aim the children at the right target. And if you need someone to come alongside you and help you as you seek to become that warrior, then ask for the help. When I say you're to be the primary discipler, that doesn't mean that you can't have somebody else help you. But don't have another guy shooting your arrows. Have them help you learn how to shoot your arrows. Psalm, or, yeah, Psalm 27, 17 says, uh, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ask for help. Just like you had help with somebody coming along teaching you how to fire your, your bow, how to shoot your bow. Ask somebody for help saying, I want to disciple my kids, but I'm kind of at a loss. Ask for the help. That's why the church is here. But they're your arrows. They're your arrows. Now, how do you train yourself to be the best warrior possible and to be the most effective? It's not about five steps to being the most effective warrior, to be a better dad. If you want to be a better dad, be a godly man. If you want to be a, a better father, then be the Christian that God has called you to be. It's not about five steps of this, 27 methods for that. If you are a godly man, if you are a godly Christian, you will be a godly father, even if you haven't read a book about how to do it. You want to be a better dad? You want to be the warrior? Then pursue God for yourself with everything you've got. Pursue God yourself with everything you've got. Be intentional with Deuteronomy 6. When you sit at home, when you walk along the, day, the way, when you rise up, when you lay down, be intentional in how you use your time for yourself with God. And as you grow in Christ, you will be able to say to your children, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In order to lead your children in their relationship with Jesus, you need to be growing in your relationship. Last thing. Jesus spent three years discipling these guys. They spent three years being discipled by God in the flesh. If there is anyone who knew how to perfectly disciple someone, it was Jesus. He knew how to make the most use out of every moment. He knew how to turn every moment into a teaching moment. He knew how to live out his life before them perfectly. Then at the end of it all, when he was about to ascend, he said, I have done everything to equip you to go out and be my witnesses. Because of the time we have spent together, you're ready. Now go out and proclaim the gospel. It's not what he said. In Acts 1, 4 through 8, he said that it says this. And while staying with them, uh, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that Father has fixed by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. When a person is teaching somebody how to sail a boat, uh, they, they will often start with teaching them the jargon. You know, batten and hatches and sail and anchor, all that kind of stuff. They'll then teach them the parts of the boat uh, to prepare for sailing. Uh, and then they'll teach them basic techniques and maneuvers. Uh, and if you have a great sailing instructor, he will prepare you for anything you might encounter once you get the boat into open water. But you know what that sailing instructor can never, ever do, no matter how good he is? He can't make a sailboat go. He can teach you everything you need to know for once that sailboat starts going, but he can't make it go. All he can do is prepare the student to be able to catch the wind when it blows. Dads understand one thing clearly. That's all you can do with your child. You can teach him everything he needs to know so that when the Holy Spirit acts upon their heart, they are ready. That's your job, dads. Not to make them Christians, because you can't. You can't change their hearts. Your job is to do everything you can by the grace of God to aim them. So when the Spirit of God moves and you release that arrow, they don't hit the target of the American dream. They hit the target of proclaiming Christ to the glory of God. So dads, in the discipleship of your children, you should be their first and primary discipler. Again, it's not to say other people can't help you, but your children are your arrows and yours alone. And God is going to hold you accountable for how you aim them. How do you disciple them? By first and foremost, being the Christian God has called you to be, living a life where you are able to tell your children imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what I want to say to my children. But they better turn out like Jesus if I say that to them. I want to say that to my children. Dads, where are you at? Can you say that to your children? And does it matter to you whether or not you can say that to your children? And if you say it, is it true? If they imitate you, dads, will they be like Jesus? Uh, I didn't get my notes to Andrea in time to get the family discussion and prayer uh, focus in the bulletin. Um, it's up here on the screen if you want to use your camera take a, or your phone, take a picture of it, um, or they will also be online. Uh, they'll be up on Facebook, but I encourage you, take some time go over those questions with your, with your family and spend some time in prayer on this issue. But again, dads, this is a heavy weight of responsibility, but God wouldn't give it to you if he also wasn't going to give to you everything you need to do it. By the grace of God, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when you give us a seemingly impossible task, you give us immeasurable grace to fulfill it. God, I thank you that as we fulfill this task, because it is by your grace alone, 
that it is all the glory to you alone. Father, you deserve that glory. You deserve that praise. And Lord, I pray that you will help every dad in here feel the weight of this. But also, God, the incredible privilege that you have put in our hands weapons for the sake of the gospel. The Father, you put in our hands the opportunity to raise proclaimers of Christ. And Father, I ask that you will help us to see them as that. Not as somebody else who can live the American dream. Not as somebody else who can go on to do great things in business or sports or whatever it may be. Father, help us see them as proclaimers of the gospel of Christ, Father. So that we will aim them where they need to be aimed. At the heart of this world to pierce it for the sake of Christ and the glory of God. And to you, Father, we give all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.